Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. My guest this morning is no stranger to the show. It's Robert Sinclair, media relations manager from AAA Northeast, who always has great information on car maintenance, safety, and travel. And we got some stats for you this morning that you'll find fascinating. So if you're preparing a nice Sunday breakfast or chilling on a Sunday morning, preparing for a virtual sunrise service, or about to hit the road for an early run, remember that mask and social distancing is important. Thanks for making us a part of your morning. And be sure to grab a pen and paper and a pencil or maybe the smartphone app on your cell to take down some valuable information you'll hear this morning. When we return, we'll talk about auto and travel when New York Sports and Beyond begins on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. For the past two decades, Robert Sinclair has been imparting information from his perch at AAA Northeast, giving valuable information and tips about car maintenance and travel and all sorts of things to help keep you safe in your automobile. He's a good friend of the show and we love having him and join me in welcoming Robert Sinclair to New York Sports and Beyond. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm well. (laughs) I'm glad that uh, I'm so well known. At least I hope I am. Oh, absolutely. I see you on TV. You're all over the place, Robert. You are all over. Where there's traffic and a holiday, there's Robert Sinclair. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and more. there's more and more traffic these days. So, yeah. yeah you know what? Busy. It is. Hey, Robert, let's yeah. kind of get an overview of where we where we were and where we are. And I'm just curious, because uh, I know AAA does a great job in keeping numbers and stats and, and things like sure. that. Just from well, during the pandemic... Uh, what was the big drop off as far as travel is concerned? I know you guys do a lot of things with travel. What's the drop off in cars usage on the road? The the amount of uh, drop in uh, calls for you guys to come help cars out because of the pandemic and everybody kind of staying home. Well, yes, indeed. Uh, it has to be noted that just before the pandemic lockdowns hit, we were experiencing the worst congestion in New York City history. Uh, and we have been doing so for the past two or, or three years. Um, we were also burning the most gasoline that we've ever burned upwards of a nation last year. And in fact, 2019, we're averaging 385 million gallons of gasoline burned per day. The all time record for one day gasoline consumption was set the last day of August last year when we burned 415 million gallons per day. Wow. Consider this year the Nader, the low point of gasoline consumption was back in April, and we burned roughly 231 million gallons per day. We are coming back, but we're still quite low. We're probably about 80% of where we were this time last year as far as gasoline consumption. We looked at some other numbers to see sort of where we were and where we are. Uh, we looked at toll transactions on the Garden State Parkway and the New Jersey Turnpike. And by the way, the tolls have gone up on those roadways. (laughs) That's not lost on me. But we looked at those transactions. And in March, in February and March, New Jersey Turnpike, Garden State Parkway, uh, they were doing upwards of 20 million toll transactions in a week. And that fell off to roughly eight. So we saw on both roadways roughly a 60% reduction in toll transactions in April and May. That has since come back a little bit. We're probably about, again, 80% of where we were uh, at this time last year, but a significant drop-off. 
we looked at the toll transactions on the intra New York City bridges and tunnels. And, you know, so whatever bridge and tunnel had a toll, we were able to look at those numbers. And those numbers fell off significantly um, in March, I should say in April and May. Um, Just, in fact, the week before last, we saw the first week with more than 5 million toll transactions on those facilities since the beginning of March. So we're coming back. Um, but you know, we, we still have a long way to go. I was looking at some numbers from the Energy Information Administration last week, and it's saying that with the end of the summer driving season, which ends with Labor Day weekend, we saw in just one week a drop of 14 million gallons in the amount of gasoline produced in a given day. So Americans, they may have been doing some driving um, during that holiday weekend, but afterwards, bingo, just, it just fell off the table. And we are burning roughly 58 million gallons less per day of gasoline compared to last year. So if there's any one good thing, uh, the silver lining that's coming out of the COVID dark cloud, it's that gasoline is cheap. Uh, it's averaging 219 per gallon nationwide. It was 257 a gallon last year. In New York City, it's 231, was 283 last year. Then uh, we go through Long Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, all have the same average price of 221. And those prices were 269, 255, 259, respectively, last year. So gasoline is cheap. We have this week switched over to winter blends of gasoline which are less expensive to refine and distribute. So gasoline is going to get even cheaper. Um, the one X factor that we have to, to view as far as gas prices are concerned has to do with hurricanes. Um, Sally blew through the Gulf Coast this week. It just it went east of where the bulk of refineries are located, but it did uh, impact quite a few, more than 10, and something called the loop, the... Uh, Lower, ooh, lower Orleans, something, I forget what it means. God, don't get old. But it has to do with a series of oil drilling platforms that are in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, many of them had to be shut down. And the Gulf of Mexico and the Gulf Coast is the oil production, refining, and distribution breadbasket of the United States. More than 50% of all the uh, gasoline comes from that area. And so that hurricane blew through that the full extent of the damage has not been assessed as yet, but that can affect prices, making them go up. And there's like, you know, three or four more storms turning out in the Atlantic and they tend to hit the, uh, the Southeast and the Gulf coast. So that looms large as far as uh, something that could influence gasoline prices to make them go up. And, uh, you know, hurricane season doesn't end until the end of November. So that's, that's that's on the horizon. So, you know, in looking at the overall grand scheme of things, the traffic went way down as a result of the pandemic and the lockdown orders. It has come back. In some cases, it's coming roaring back. If you look at the uh, traffic reports in the morning, we are back to the time when we see a busyness in the amount of vehicles on the highways and using uh, the bridges and tunnels at five o'clock in the morning. I usually get up at 4.30, quarter to 5. I turn on the, the traffic reports and the traffic camera channel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's busy. It's not deserted as you would expect to be, or as it used to be, you know, at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. It's busy. And then by 
today, 6.30, 7 o'clock, it's jammed. So uh, it looks like we've come fully back and with more people wanting to be in their vehicles or in a vehicle uh, because they don't want to be exposed to uh, uh, the pathogens that uh, are in uh, close proximity when you jam people up on mass transit, Mm -hmm. uh, car sales have gone up. Uh, Used vehicle sales went up 22%. Um, a couple of weeks ago compared to the same time last year. Um, the Long Island Rail, I went to a forum, uh, Long Island Contractors Association forum, uh, a representative from the Long Island Railroad was there. He said ridership is off 80% compared to last year. Uh, the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, talks about the fact that enplanements, those people getting on airplanes at the three local airports, is down 70 to 80% compared wow. to last year. So the private motor vehicle, the car, is the way to go for most people, as far as many, most people are concerned, uh, given that we are still in the midst of the pandemic and car travel is not back where it once was. Again, we had the worst congestion in the city series history just prior, but it's come back. But train travel, uh, plane travel, uh, cruising is not happening at all. You know, these things are, are way off, and we don't know when they will come back. It's really going to depend on what the propagation of uh, this disease is in the near to midterm. See, this is why everybody knows when I say all you have to say about Robert Sinclair is it's Robert Sinclair with AAA because you have all the numbers, you have all the stats. He's my guest <laughs> here on New York Sports and Beyond. You're listening to 987 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When we return, Robert Sinclair will impart some knowledge about the roads in the tri-state area, which are pretty scary. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue our chat with Robert Sinclair from AAA. So, Bob, what you're telling me is because of before this boom recently that we're seeing the increase of cars, you're telling me that during this time when there were no cars on the road, Everybody was doing all the road maintenance. So I don't have to worry about yeah. road maintenance. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff now. Right, Bob? <laughs> that would be no. <laughs> that would be a no. Uh, there's an organization called TRIP, the Road Improvement Program, that issues uh, pavement quality reports. And they had one just in June. And in our area, we've got roughly 30 40% of our pavement is considered poor. Um you add another 20% of that is considered fair. So while a lot of work was able to get done uh, during the pandemic, and I remember one day in early April when they had two, two lanes of the southbound Major Deegan shut down just before the George Washington Bridge, and there were no delays. Mm. <laughs> when would that happen? Mm. When would that <laughs> ever happen? Yeah. So some work of work was able to get done, but it was work that had money. Uh, for which the budget had been passed and uh, the money was there to be spent and the work to be done. Um, we are still in bad shape. Uh, roughly 70% of our roads and bridges, as I should say our bridges and tunnels, across the entire nation are in fair or poor condition, according to the American Society of Civil Engineers. And we need to spend a lot of money to make that happen. Coincidentally, at the end of September, the FAST Act, Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act, expires. That's the five-year highway bill, um, and a new one needs to be passed. Now, you can imagine the political considerations that are involved in getting that kind of bill passed. 
it's not going to happen this year. And in fact, the talk is up on the Hill, according to uh, the folks that we know up there, that there's going to be a one-year extension uh, in September when the bill expires. Uh, kicking the can down the road, essentially, Larry, to uh, let the next two set of people who are going to be in control of Congress and the White House decide what to do. But we need a lot to be done, and it needs to be done real soon. Very distressingly, we just heard um, last week uh, that the Gateway Tunnel Project, which would renew or rebuild uh, the tunnels, the rail tunnels under the Hudson River, uh, has been delayed. That a key government approval, federal government approval, did not come through. And so that's going to be delayed at least another year uh, with the, the cost ballooning an extra $4 billion. So we're talking about a $20 billion project. And you might remember from Superstorm Sandy, those tunnels were seriously damaged yeah. yep. as a result of that storm. They are 110 years old. Hmm. And the PATH trains go through them. Amtrak goes through them from New Jersey uh, to Penn Station. And then the tracks for tunnels continue under the East River into uh, Sunnyside. And then the train curves around uh, across the Hellgate Bridge, which I live near, which you might hear from time to time, the train's going by, and then up into New England. So if anything were to happen to those tunnels, a serious damage incident, they get flooded or something, to one or both of those tubes, forget it. Yeah. I mean, we would see a crisis of congestion in this area, of the likes of which we have never experienced. But nothing is getting done. So those, that's, that's the type of project uh, about which we need more of. We actually need new tunnels, um, but let's get them uh, fixed or repaired. In the meantime, it's just not happening. And, and we delay on these things to our peril uh, that could create a crisis. And it's not just a New York problem. If anything were happening to those tunnels, it would be uh, a Northeast corridor, an American problem. Um, additionally, in the city of New York, let's get very specific in talking about congestion. We have an inordinate number of trucks in our area. Yes, we roughly do. Ninety-six. Yes, roughly ninety-six percent of the freight that comes to New York City comes by truck. For most cities, it's about fifty percent or forty percent. And why? Again, lack of a key piece of infrastructure. Another tunnel would be necessary: a rail freight tunnel, a tunnel that would go from New Jersey under the Hudson River, under Manhattan, under the East River, and connect with Long Island Railroad tracks, perhaps in Queens, perhaps in Brooklyn and go out to Farmingdale, where there is a new uh, transfer facility um, in uh, Brookhaven, I believe it is, on the, on the grounds of the old uh, Brookhaven uh, Hospital. And so just imagine if that tunnel were there, trains with freight could go out to Long Island. They could be unloaded onto, onto these small vans, like we see the red, white, and blue vans, and the blue vans, and the brown vans that are making deliveries so much in our city. And you could get all these tractor-trailer trucks off the road. And we did a study back in the mid-'90s and found that one heavily laden tractor-trailer truck, and the limit is supposed to be 88,000 pounds on those trucks. They're regularly over 100,000 pounds. Mm. But just one of those trucks does the damage of 20,000 cars. I did not get my zeros messed up. It's wow. 20,000 cars. So they create congestion. They beat the daylights out of the roads. And you want to know why our roads are bad. So, I mean, we could do one, if we did just one thing, or let's say two things, get that tunnel, the passenger train tunnels redone, 
and get new tunnels for rail freight. And we could get all these trucks or at least a significant portion of them off the road and congestion would improve markedly. But we are unwilling or unable to spend the money. Uh, we lack the will. I don't know. Well, we have, the money is there somewhere, I'm sure, if we wanted to. If we had the will, we could get it done. You know, our, our parents and our grandparents and great-grandparents got these grand projects done. Why can't we? That's and true. that's that's what we need to do. We're really on the brink of a crisis, and I just hope that you don't have me back on one day to talk about how we're going to deal with that crisis. I hear what you're saying, Bob, and, and I agree with you. Next on New York Sports and Beyond, we'll explore the new technology in automobiles that may not be as great as you think on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's conclude my discussion with Robert Sinclair, media manager of AAA Northeast. You know, you're on my mind. Uh, I was watching a commercial recently, Mm -hmm. Bob, and I'm watching this person in this car, and they said, look, I don't have to put my hands on the steering wheel, and it parks itself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I saw somebody standing outside of a car that was parking itself. Robert, talk to me about these new driver assistance systems that, um, and we've had these conversations before, but all it does is just make it easier so that you don't have to concentrate on what you're doing. And that's the least thing that we want to happen when you're behind the wheel. Yes, there are these new safety suite of technologies, which, by the way, all have different names, and many of them perform differently. And that's, the number one, one of the things that we've been involved in uh, with these technologies to get the nomenclature, if I can use a big word, uh, standardized. So that they all use the same name, and how about also they all do the same thing? Uh, let's talk about number like automatic emergency braking, which by the way is going to be standard on every new vehicle sold starting next year. Automatic emergency braking will be standard. Now, mm. some companies call it one thing, somebody some companies call it another. Some companies set up the system such that it will completely stop your vehicle if it detects some sort of obstacle in front of it. Others set up the system so that it will slow the vehicle down and mitigate the damage. It will lessen the amount of damage that would happen. I don't know how you'd like your system to operate, but if it's going to stop, stop. stop. If there's something (laughs) in the way, stop. Yeah, so you have these technologies. You've got automatic emergency braking. You've got lane keeping assist where the vehicle will keep track whether or not you're in your lane and steer you back into your lane. You've got blind spot warning. One company calls it Bliss blind spot information system and it will let you know if somebody's in your blind spot we did a survey last year found that 24 percent of people who have that system do not bother to look in their mirror when they change their lanes Hmm. Mm. we've got uh backup cameras we've got uh rear uh cross traffic alert that if you're backing up and it senses something it will stop the vehicle uh we've got all these various systems There's just one problem with all of them, Larry. They do not work all the time. In some situations, they do not work at all. Uh, Pedestrian detection systems at the front of the vehicle, they use cameras and sonars and radars to detect pedestrians. Well, the beams from those technologies go straight ahead. If you're making a turn, it's not going to see the person to your right or left if you're making a turn. Also, uh, because they rely so heavily on cameras, they don't work at night at all. Mm. So we've got all these technologies, and they offer the promise 
the, the potential of being able to prevent crashes. And we know that roughly 96% of all crashes are caused by driver error. So we are cautiously optimistic about these technologies and they're being able to eliminate crashes and deaths and injuries on the roads. The problem is they don't work all the time. And even with them in the state that they are, where they are you know, not yet ready for prime time, we find that drivers are relying too heavily on them. And it, it brings up a, a study that the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety did recently. And we did a test in, with 90 participants, and we told them we trained half the group one way and half the group the other way. So, look, we've got this new vehicle. Uh, one group, we told them that they have this fantastic technology with these uh, self-driving systems. And we gave it the fictitious name of Autono Drive. And we told people these systems are great. They work well. They're going to help protect you if you're out on the road. And fantastic. The other group, we called the system Drive Assist. And we said, look, this system is only there as a backup. It's very important that you pay attention. It's very important that you maintain your concentration on the road. Don't rely on this, these systems. And we let people drive these vehicles for a while. And afterwards, we did a survey of them. And we asked them uh, certain questions. And we, the, 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 <laughs> the responses varied depending on the type of training. If they had the training with the Autono Drive, a lot of them were extremely confident that these systems would be able to help them out in different situations, such that they would start doing bad behaviors behind the wheel. The wheel. Those with the Autono Drive training, 55% of them felt that the system would make them feel more comfortable while they are eating and driving. 45% said it would make them feel more comfortable if they are using a handheld cell phone and driving. And alarmingly, 42% said that the system could take action to avoid a collision if there was a vehicle directly to the side and steering in to their vehicle. Uh, none of these systems will do that. All right. And 56% said that the vehicle would automatically slow down in a tight curve without the driver doing anything. Now, this is very, very bad. Now, the systems that we train people on with the drive assist name, the numbers were markedly different. 27% would only, only 27% would feel comfortable eating while driving. Only 13% would feel comfortable using a handheld cell phone. Only 4% would think that the vehicle would automatically on its own avoid a collision. And only 27% said that the vehicle would reduce speed in a tight curve by itself. So it becomes very important as a result of this for drivers to realize and for the people that are selling the cars to them with these technologies, that they train them thoroughly to understand how the te technologies work or do not work, and that the drivers go out and take the opportunity to drive with these systems to learn how they work. Now, there's a, a, I read an article about a dealership down in Florida that would take a person who just purchased their new vehicle, everybody's all happy and everything, they take those people aside, and they have a specialist who trains them for an hour in how all these technologies work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most dealers are telling them, go read the owner's manual. Owner's manuals on new vehicles can be anywhere from 300, and no exaggeration, to 700 pages long with yep. all the things that are in these vehicles. So we're telling them that you have to learn 
how these vehicles operate, understand what the technologies can, but more importantly, cannot do, allow time for testing, you know, give yourself some opportunity to get out on the road with these technologies and learn how they operate and do not ever, ever rely 100% on these technologies. The most important safety device on a new vehicle sits behind the steering wheel, and that's what people have to understand. New vehicle or old, a well-trained driver, there's no substitute for a well-trained alert driver, and that's what we have to be. That's what we have to understand. Autonomous vehicles may happen one day in the far future, but it's not going to happen anytime soon, and these technologies, technologies that are a precursor of that happening, while they might be available in vehicles, they're not ready for prime time, and we should not rely on them. Have I scared you? Uh, yes, you have. Thanks. It's the voice of Robert Sinclair. He's the manager of media relations for AAA Northeast. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. All right, Robert, let's play acronym. If I Uh say P-L-A-N, what does that mean to you? P-L-A-N is purpose limitations allow time for testing and never rely on it as relates to these technologies. You've got to learn the purpose of these systems. You have to understand the limitations. A, allow time for testing. And N, never rely on these systems. And uh, hopefully folks will keep uh, these this acronym in mind as they go forward. And I'm, I'm glad I remembered it, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I had your back. But I had no doubt Thank that you, you would know. I had your back, though. Thank Robert. you. I did. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, a little uh, cheat note helps. But uh, it just, you know, something that we came up with to sort of remind people, remind drivers that uh, these technologies have their limitations. You know, I don't know what the numbers are going to be for this year, uh, but for every year since 2016, we were setting and breaking records on the sales of new vehicles in this country, upwards of 17 million. Uh, back in 16, it was 17.1, and then the years after, you know, 17.2, 17.3, 0.4, So we're selling new vehicles like crazy mm. in this country with these new technologies on them. So they're proliferating. There's roughly 280 million vehicles on the road in the United States, and every year a new, an extra 17 million comes in and with these new technologies. So... Uh, the 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 presence of these, the proliferation of these technologies is just growing and growing, and, and drivers need to really understand uh, the limitations of them. And, you know, the older drivers tend to be able to afford these things more. They've been working all their lives and saving their money, and now they've got, uh, you know, some extra coin, and they want to go out and get a flashy new vehicle. And it comes with all this stuff on it, and we have events, uh, called CarFit, where uh, senior citizens come, they bring their vehicles. Senior citizens come, I won't speak English. They bring their vehicles, and we show them how to properly seat themselves in their vehicles so that they're the right distance from the steering wheel, and they look at the, the mirrors, and their mirrors are in the right place, so that for safety's sake, they're, they're, they're pr- positioned properly in the vehicle and able to operate it. And the seniors come in and they have these new vehicles and they're like, I don't understand all the stuff that's on the vehicle. I was driving and I went to avoid a pothole and the steering tried to grab itself out of my steering, out of my hands. I said, well, you've got lane keeping assist and 
the technology was seeing no reason for you. you if you didn't turn your signal, you didn't put your turn signal on, uh, it's going to figure that you're drifting out of your lane and try and center you uh, back in the lane. So here's poor drivers trying to avoid a pothole. Mm-hmm. And the, the technology is grabbing the steering wheel out of her hand. Uh, you know, one, one uh, woman said to me, uh, I've got a person that's sitting six inches away from me. Why do they need their own climate control system? What <laughs> difference is it going to make? So those who probably are most able to avail themselves of these technologies are usually the most overwhelmed by them and, and don't understand them and, and don't under, uh, they don't appreciate having these things. You know, many wish I wish I could have bought a car without all this stuff on it, but because they wanted to get a certain model with a certain luxury or prestige or what have you, all of this stuff, stuff comes extra and there's nothing they can do about it. And the scary thing about it, Bob, as you and I both know and our listeners know as well, is to listen, computers are great. We love them. They're, they're a part of our lives and everything we do now, but they do mess up. And and you oh. have a malfunction now. You've locked your car. Your car can't right now, Bob. Your car can't operate because if, if you get a malfunction in your computer. Yeah, yeah. Did did you see the story in the news? I think it was last year. A lady went in. She was on Long Island, and she went in to get some refreshments, a, a snack of some kind. She left her key fob there, and drove all the way to Pennsylvania, and discovered she didn't have her quote unquote key. And if she shut her vehicle off, she wouldn't be able to turn it back on. And the gentleman that owned the store drove that key fob all the way to her wow. location in Pennsylvania and returned it to her. But those are the kind of things. But not just that those instances. Let's say in the instance where you might have, say, a minor collision. Now, you've got all these sensors in the front of your vehicle and that are there to tell you, you know, stop the vehicle if you're going to hit something and blah, blah, blah. I heard a story about a, a, a driver who hit a, a small deer on the road and damaged those sensors. Now you have to take that vehicle to a specialist that knows number one, how to fix all the body panels and all of that. But number two knows how to repair or replace all those sensors and to calibrate them so that they work well. And Oh, when they repented that bumper that you damaged, the paint needs to be of a very precise thickness in order for the sensor that is behind it that's controlling your braking to operate properly. So mm. you create all this extra can of worms and, oh, there's a shortage of auto technicians. We probably need mm, 250,000 auto technicians and that you know, kids are going to college and getting degrees that they can't get a job with. They could go to school for two years, become an auto technician and making more than the college instructors in two years. But because of that dirt, that lack, of repair technicians. If something happens to your vehicle, you take it to a shop, it might be there for a month, Mm. a month and a half or two. So Mm. there's, you know, there's this, this whole cascading effect of these technologies and the, the problems that they're causing, they're probably creating more problems than they are actually solving. It's amazing. It, it, it really is. That's why we love having you yeah. on to, to get us to, to think in reality about this and also just to not to scare us, but to wake us up to do a better job in making sure that we still maintain control. I mean, the, the part that you mentioned in, in um, earlier when you were talking about the Atana drive, uh, the scary yeah. part was 45 percent of your folks said, yeah, I feel like I can use a handheld cell phone. No, yeah. there's, there's no yeah. condition to you. We want you to use a handheld cell phone. I don't care if it's driving by itself and, and you have your eyes closed. I don't want you right. to use a cell phone. 
Yeah, that's the you know it's the chicken and egg question. Uh, the bad drivers create these technologies, or these technologies creating bad drivers. Mm-hmm. And many drivers are seeing that with these technologies. Well, you know, I can, I can do other things. I remember I've been doing this job twenty years now, Larry, and I remember it was probably in the third or fourth year of me doing this job. And you know, cell phones were proliferating back then. That would have been two thousand two, three, or four, and there was a study that said that those people that are most successful in business, those top type A personalities, those go-getters, they are the worst at being distracted when they're behind the wheel because they look upon it as downtime, and Mm -hmm. so now they can get on their cell phone and have meetings and do this and that and the other while they're commuting. Well, these technologies are just worsening that attitude. You know, I've got automatic emergency braking. I don't even have to hold my cell phone anymore. It'll talk to me through the infotainment system of the vehicle. Oh, and I can check my emails. And I can check my texts and respond to them yes, all you can. using these technologies. Now, great, you don't have to hold the phone in your hand, but we found that that type of distraction, which is called a manipulative distraction, is a small part of the distractions that exist behind the wheel It is the mental distraction that is the worst. When you are driving, you are controlling a very heavy object moving at speed. You have to be aware of other traffic, road conditions, particularly in our area, pavement conditions, Mm -hmm. signs, lights, rules, regulations, weather, daylight, nighttime. There are vehicles inches away from you. Driving requires 100% of your faculties. Now you throw into the mix checking a, an email, listening to a text, having a, a, a complex conversation while you're on the phone uh, in your vehicle, and it just it just is too much. Um, we did a study a couple of years ago and found that there's a hangover effect, if you will, that even after your cell phone telephone call is over for another mm, roughly 30 seconds the details of the call are still ruminating around in your mind. And mm. You're still distracted. You're still within that, that aura, that fear of having that call and what was going on. And as a result, even though you're not doing anything, you're still distracted by something that happened a half minute ago. So the, the, the psychology that's involved in these things, people have to realize we cannot do other things when we are driving. We have a course. DIP, Driver Improvement Program, and we teach people these things. It's a refresher course. The Department, the State Department Motor Vehicles certifies it as being such a good course that you can get points removed from your license or you can get a discount on your insurance as a result of taking the course, and it's available online now. And the thing we stress in the course is concentration on the task at hand, operating the motor vehicle, all these other things you have to put aside. The Lloyds of London Insurance Company says there is nothing, nothing more dangerous that you can do in the course of your daily existence than operating or riding in a motor vehicle. You can be crossing the street in midtown traffic, and it's safer than being in that vehicle because of so many things that can happen. And, and you know, they compare flying and the possibility of getting into a crash with driving and getting into a crash, and there's, like, there's no comparison. 
There's yeah. no flying is much, much safer. You've got everybody that's flying a plane is a professional and has been mm-hmm. trained very well. Drivers, <laughs> you know, they could have been trained well. They could not have been trained well. They might not yeah. have a license. Yeah. You know, we see that happening a lot. So it's, it's really, it's just overwhelmingly important that drivers realize how important it is uh, that they pay attention when they're behind the wheel and, and concentrate fully on, on operating that vehicle. And even more so now, Robert, because we're back to school. And, you know, you've got kids yeah. running, darting out of the school buses and, you know, doing the usual. And, yes, I know it depends on some areas. Some areas are three days in, two days out, two days in, three right. days out. But whatever it right. is in your particular area, you still got kids. And once again, you've got, you know, where it's getting darker quicker. You know, in the suburban areas, people are walking their pets, walking their dogs. Yep. You know, sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. So, Robert, before we leave, let, let's have some quick tips for our folks who are behind the wheel to protect our pedestrians. Well, let's keep in mind that, indeed, uh, somebody within the sound of your voice, our voice is, is back at school. Uh, maybe not all the systems are the hybrid uh, systems, but the kids are back, and we need to realize that uh, we have a program, in fact, called Schools Open Drive Carefully, and this is the 100th anniversary of that program. Wow. So since 1920, yes, we have been warning drivers every fall that the kids are back at school and you have to be careful. You have to be particularly careful in the afternoon and evening, as you mentioned, because the kids go to school drips and drabs, but they all leave en masse all at the same time. And so you have hordes of kids leaving the schools and you have to be particularly careful. Now, we're going to be dealing shortly with the situation where daylight saving time expires. We go back to standard time and it'll get dark earlier. And in that week after the time switch, we always see an increase in the number of pedestrian crashes, uh, pedestrian knockdowns and what have you. So it's very important for drivers to be careful, for pedestrians to be careful, for all of us to be very careful. Uh, drivers, particularly around schools, particularly in the afternoon, uh, to watch out for our young ones uh, in particular, but pedestrians in general um, when we are driving. Um, and that, uh, I forget exactly when the time switch happens, but when that happens, that's, uh, that's really a bad time. We have to be very, very careful. Um, so going forward from this day forward, and let's really watch out for our, our young, our beautiful young people. They're going back to school and we have to look out for them. Yeah, there's no question about that, Bob. And and do us a favor. This is from Bob and I both. Don't try to outrace the school bus when you see the yellow bus with the stop no, signal on the no. side. I see so many shows and highlights, Robert, of people who either didn't see, didn't notice, or thought they could just be there, or thought, well, he's down there. That's on that side of the street. I'm on this side of the street. I can go. It only means to, to stop on the side of the street that the bus is on. No, it's both you, sides. You, yes, you bring up a very important, dangerous situation. Did you know that if you were driving on the New York State Thruway and there was a school bus stopped on the other side of the road, you're supposed to stop? When you see a school bus, you are supposed to stop. And many school buses these days have cameras on them, and it's just, a plague, if you will, of people passing stopped school buses. And they might not have the bar that comes out, they might have that, not have the sign that comes out, but they have those flashing lights. Mm-hmm. And if a school bus is stopped with those flashing lights, you have to stop, even if you are on the other side of the road. Because very often the youngsters would jump out the bus and just run across the street. So that's a very important rule that very few people seem to know. Or if they do know it, they're just, just cavalierly uh, ignoring it, 
But that school bus, when it is stopped, you have to stop no matter where you are. On the other side of the road and the other side of the thruway, when that bus is stopped, you have to stop. So, yeah, that's something very important that you bring up, Larry. I hope drivers will remember it. Robert, thanks for a couple of minutes this Sunday morning. Always great information. And uh, be safe, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, go Mets. New ownership. Happy, happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Take care, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> You too. Thanks, Larry. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. We thank you for listening. We'll join you later today on The Drive following Dan Grass and the legendary Greg Buttle. And during the week on ESPN New York Tonight and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my incredibly talented producer, Ray Santiago, and an assist by the coach, Anthony Pusik, I'm Larry Hardesty. Anita Marks is next with Fantasy Focus, then joins Chris Canty and our GM, Mike Tannenbaum, on New York Game Day at 8 on 98.7 ESPN New York.